Drama at the Rogers Center. Hello and welcome to episode 271 of section 138. I'm your host, Mark Colley. As always, joined by Bryson. And Bryson, we've got a hell of a series to unpack here. From game one, Glancegate, to game two, with all the brawling going back and forth, and the chirping, and then the suspension for the sticky stuff, and then game three, a gem from Chris Bassett, flu game, and a Danny Jansen walk-off, and then game four, well, we just don't have to talk about that one. Bryson, how are you? I'm doing good, but yeah, this was uh, this was a, a series that had a lot of random stuff happening. I mean, you touched on it in terms of the sign-stealing stuff or the staring, like you were talking about, or what you were calling it, uh, the sticky stuff. And of course, things were even uh, carrying over to today in the fourth game. I, I know you were there, Mark, so I don't know if you saw it, but Aaron Boone and Pete Walker were going at it a little bit throughout the game today, too. So this was something where... It felt like there was, I guess, some tension, but between only the coaching staff for most of it, and then, of course, there was the part where they were yelling at the third base coach for the Yankees for not staying in within the lines, um, I guess, of the box there uh, outside of um, or in foul territory for the coaches. So it was a weird four days. Unfortunately, it was not what the Blue Jays wanted uh, in terms of the outcome, and uh, I think that was also the big part of it. It was just, for me, overall, just a really disappointing series and I'm glad they were able to avoid the sweep but they definitely had chances to do better than that and unfortunately they just couldn't get it done uh this past week baseball wise certainly disappointing entertainment wise I don't think we've seen anything like this in quite a long time this was packed full so let's I guess we can go game by game because that's kind of the order where the drama unfolds and the order of how people are talking about this game one we get Glanskate. So that's the eighth inning, right? Aaron Judge is up to bat against Jay Jackson. He had already hit a home run that day, and the Blue Jays broadcast catches him glancing over towards the first base side, slash the Yankees dugout, slash maybe peeking a look at Alejandro Kirk right before he hits his second home run of the day. And this one is blasted. I think it was like 460 feet out to deep center field into the WestJet flight deck. Um, absolutely clobber. And it obviously, a lot of questions followed. It wasn't just that pitch that the Sportsnet broadcast caught. It was also a couple pitches beforehand that the Sportsnet broadcast caught. And I think they also caught another hitter prior to Aaron Judge, who was also glancing over, except this, instead of it being to the first base side, it was to the third base side, I think, um, be, or, or at least the other direction, because they were different-handed at the plate. So, obviously, this sparked a lot of conversation, ranging from the very mundane explanations to the very extreme explanations. I mean, some people talking about the Yankees using mics to pick up what's going on with Pitchcom and parabolic mics <laughs> and stealing signs all over again. Um, I, I guess we can start with our first impressions on this. I know that now when all is said and done, we kind of know what was going on, or at least the Blue Jays' theory of it. According to Ken Rosenthal of The Athletic, he said that the Blue Jays figured out that Jay Jackson was tipping his pitches, which I think to any reasonable fan is kind of obvious. I don't know how many people came to this conclusion, but I feel like a fair amount of people did, even before we heard anything from Ken Rosenthal, or I know Buster Olney had a little bit about it as well, but um, 
Apparently, Jay Jackson, before he pitches, he raises, or at least raised, I assume he's changed his delivery now, he raised his glove up above his shoulder, and in the glove was his hand, and you could see his grip on the pitch right before he was about to throw it. That was visible to the Yankees' first base coach, who then would signal it to Aaron Judge or whoever was at the plate. So pretty classic pitch tipping, but obviously it sparked a lot of questions and a lot of conspiracy theories. Bryson, I'm curious what you made of this whole debacle, this whole controversy as it went down. I think it was incredibly interesting to watch from a baseball standpoint and from kind of the nerdier side of the sport. Um, and lots of drama is obviously very good for the sport. So let's start with that, and then later we can get into some of the drama that unfolded the day after. Yeah, this uh, there, there again, a lot happening throughout this week, but something that we just really haven't seen. I mean, when they picked it, like, I guess – Right at the moment when it happened, which would have been right away, um, basically the heat of the moment. I think there was a, definitely a lot of questions uh, about that. There's just the whole thing with Aaron Judge staring under the dugout and everything, and kind of just I guess echoing what John Schneider was saying. Like, why is it, what's the idea of of him staring in the dugout and everything like that? And then post game, he comes out and says he was. Um, I think Aaron Judge's explanation was he heard noise in the dugout and he was wondering who it was. I think that was definitely the most. I just the most lamest excuse I think I've ever heard uh, in terms of somebody trying to just, I guess, make something up and, of course, not tell the truth. We see that all the time. But when it came to that, it was just a bizarre, I guess, lie from him, too. Just everything about it was definitely strange. But I think the one thing that we all I Mark, I know I know how you felt because I was actually able to watch one of your Instagram lives, I guess, the, day, <laughs> the night it happened. Yeah. But I think the conclusion that we kind of all jumped to right away was that. What they were doing, like I don't, like I don't think any of us really suspected that they were doing illegal stuff to begin with. It just for me, there's a lot of questions that come with it. Like I know at the heat of the moment, a lot of people were wondering how this was all happening and everything like that. And of course, pitchcom's happening now. There's not exactly a lot of signs being delivered from a catcher. So how would the Yankees be able to hear all that? I think that was definitely kind of. Uh, a weird starting point, but then of course, when it came all said and done, and I think there was always something like this at the back of our heads, uh, as much as we didn't know for sure, was that what they were doing was likely a result of uh, some sort of tipping of the pitches by Jay Jackson, and of course, just somehow the Yankees or just I guess the their dugout getting in or their coaches getting some sort of idea of what Jay Jackson was throwing, and it turned out to be true. Of course, like you were talking about a couple days after, everybody admitted it, and of course, when it's all said and done. It's obviously legal uh, what the Yankees did because, of course, we've seen that we see it all the time in terms of people um, picking up pitchers, tipping pitches in terms of if they're showing their glove or anything like that. Of course, the reasonings that you were you were explaining, Mark, with Jay Jackson. So that part for me, it, it never bothered me at all to begin with, even when we didn't know what was going on, because I always had that. I guess suspicion that at the end of the day it was something that was probably not illegal and it was something where it was going to be the Blue Jays' fault. And it turns out that was the case. But of course, just with that came a lot of just, I guess, tension. And that was pretty much the, I guess, the, um, the icebreaker for this series in terms of the tension between the two sides. We know that, of course, it was the Blue Jays broadcast who picked this up with Dan Shulman and Buck Martinez. We know Aaron Judge was unhappy with both of them. We know that it kind of became a joke, uh, I guess, within the Yankees dugout where he would Aaron Judge would get on base and start covering his eyes uh, as some sort of, I guess, celebration or mockery of, a, I guess, just the, the theory that he was, you know, or even just the Yankees in general were stealing signs. So it kind of 
was the start of all the this just weird stuff that happened throughout the series and of course the tension and then of course this also led into just the you know the third base and first base coaches being outside of the box and all that so that's where Monday's game came from because it pretty much started all those questions and it was all because of Aaron Judge looking into the dugout a couple of times uh, throughout his at bat. And I think the thing that made it a little bit suspicious at the time was that right after he did it the second time, he hit that home run and he crushed it. I think it was almost 460 feet. I believe that's what it was, or it was around 463 feet. So that's pretty much, I guess, the gist of it when you think about it now. And of course, when it's all said and done again on Thursday at the end of the series, we know that it was nothing serious or in terms of anything illegal. Um, of course, the Blue Jays at the time, though, I don't necessarily blame them at the time for being a little bit suspicious of why he's looking in the dugout and all that. But of course, uh, I'm first of all, I'm also glad that it was nothing illegal because that would have pretty much transpired into another uh, spiral of unknown events and investigations and everything like that. So just something that you don't see often in terms of, I guess, the broadcast picking it up during a game. And then, of course, it turned out to be nothing. It just turned out to be the Blue Jays tipping pitches. But, I mean, it's just, again, definitely odd. And um, it just, I guess, kind of sums up how these these two teams, no matter if both teams think of it as a rivalry or not, there just always seems to be something that bothers each other uh, about or just bothers each team about each other so is you can understand what I'm saying about that so there's just little things that happen here and there and it's kind of just what happens between the Blue Jays and Yankees uh throughout the last couple or what's happened throughout the last couple of years so that's kind of what I picked up on it at, at first but of course on Monday night when I saw it definitely suspicious but I'm glad it turned out to be nothing I guess overall serious yeah and the Blue Jays seem to be suspicious as well about it they kind of ran it up the totem pole as we understand it. Apparently they told Major League Baseball to keep an eye out for it. And uh, I think the the same thing was told to the umpires on the day of the next game on Tuesday. And of course, we know what happened in the next game. Um, the Blue Jays and Yankees going back and forth, yelling at each other. Third base coach, Louis Rojas, for the New York Yankees chirping at Pete Walker and John Schneider because apparently he was out of the box. And let me just make one thing clear. Like, <laughs> we all know the first and third base boxes aren't actually real boxes. Like, Everyone's we've been out, watching yeah. this game long enough to know that the, the first and third base coaches don't stay in their boxes. They're more of a suggestion. Um, however, I do think it's funny how serious the Blue Jays took that. And I think what this kind of boils down to is just that. It's, it's kind of petty. I think you got to understand that this is petty. This is a very, I like to think self-aware chirping where the Blue Jays say, okay, you're going to steal our tip pitches. You're going to signal it from your first base coach. We're going to yell at you and get under your skin and chirp you to stay in your boxes. And you know what? Like I know other teams and other fans might not be happy with that. And I understand other fans like, as much as I hate Yankees fans, I understand Yankees fans not being happy about the Blue Jays yelling at their first and third base coaches. Um, <laughs> and I do think you can look at it from the outside and say it's a bit hypocritical because Lou Rivera and Mark Budzinski were not standing in their boxes at all during that game, which I think just makes this all the more comical. But, like, I don't know. It's petty. Like, I, I just think it's kind of funny. From the outside looking in, like, I'm a Blue Jays fan. I think what the Blue Jays were doing was kind of funny. And that's not to, you know, put aside on who I think was right in this situation, because if you're looking at it logically, I think the Yankees are probably in the right when it comes to like 
third base coach positioning and the Jays chirping at him and all that, but it's just really funny. Objectively, from the outside looking in, it's so, so petty. And it's really funny what the Blue Jays did. And I think they were like they were right to run up the totem pole and be concerned and share these things. And you know what John Schneider was telling the media, like he's not looking elsewhere for just just for, you know, shits and giggles. He's looking elsewhere because he's getting information other than he's getting from the pitcher. And that's fine. Like if you're tipping pitches, it's a Blue Jays fault. Um, I just think it's it's all very funny what came out of this. It was, and yeah, I, I just think it, it's kind of a thing of them, I guess, doing their due diligence about that, running it up the tonal pole and everything like that. But yeah, like, I mean, you were talking about it, or I guess throughout the game too, about the whole boxes thing. The Yankees even, I guess, retaliated, or I don't even want to say retaliated, but they all, they kind of did their own thing too and said, yeah, yeah. you know, <laughs> With he's that, out of the box yeah, too. Yeah, Aaron Boone Rivera. was yelling at yeah. whose home, home plate was... Um... James Hoyt, I think it was, yeah, and yeah. Boone was yelling, James, James, yeah. to try to get him to pay attention to it. It was hilarious. So there you go. And, I, you know, as much as it is, like you were talking about, I think, again, it just comes at the fact that these are just, I guess, stuff like this, little stuff like this happens when, you know, these two teams don't like each other. Um, and I think that's kind of been, you know, that's been definitely well noted throughout the last couple of years for sure. The other thing about that was, I don't know, I guess I'll ask you because this was definitely a question that I guess came up and a lot of people were talking about this ever since Monday night about are the Blue Jays going to retaliate? What Are they going to throw at Aaron Judge? Are they going to throw at somebody else? And that was kind of something that was talked about a lot throughout the series is when are the Blue Jays going to retaliate? Are the Yankees going to retaliate? And nothing uh, ended up happening in terms of anybody being thrown at, you know, no benches cleared or anything like that. But it just felt like, the media also had a really fun time with this in terms of, I guess, hyping that up and building that up because no matter where you went or no matter what you were watching about this, there was always the question of that. Are these two guys, are these two teams going to eventually fight or whatever? And nothing happened. So, you know, a, a part of me is fine with that. And I think I'm glad nothing really did happen because I just felt like if something like this, or, you know, for example, the bench is clearing over something like this. It, it would be even, I think it'd add on to it in terms of it just kind of being ridiculous. So if it's, if, if it would ever happen in the future, I hope it would happen over something that I think would actually be legitimate. It was just something where the Blue Jays got a little bit thrown off about what they saw. And then of course they wanted to just make sure everything was being okay. It turned out to be something that it was their own fault. And then it was just something where I felt like it felt like they just had to keep going along with it in terms of making sure the coaches were staying where they were supposed to be staying. But then the Yankees had fun with it. And then when it was all said and done, it was kind of something which was a little bit ridiculous. Like I was saying, and it was something that was bizarre because I don't think I've ever seen a series like that where it went from, I guess being suspicious, not accusing, but being suspicious of glances in the dugout to sticky stuff to all that to where coaches are standing in the boxes. So I don't know if we're ever going to see something like that again in terms of how bizarre that was, but it just kind of was just a weird four days. And, of course, I talked about it a little bit off the start in terms of the results that came, but which we're going to get into. And I think that should be more of the focus on that. But I definitely do think that the media was having a really fun time trying to overhype some sort of, of you know, eventual bench-clearing brawl between these two sides. And nothing ever happened. So, uh, I... Again, I wasn't surprised by that. I don't know if you were or not, if you were expecting something like that. So I'll ask you on that before we, I guess, uh, talk about other stuff like that. But yeah, definitely uh, definitely a strange four days. 
Yeah, to be honest, I think I was expecting something to come out of really? it. Really? Um, okay. And I don't know. Like, there was a couple hit by pitches in games three and four. Like, I, I, I don't know if it was Chris Bassett or if he was already out of the game at that point, but there was a hit batter in Wednesday's game. And then in today's game, Thursday, we saw Rizzo got hit. Yeah. 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 So. I, I honestly like expected in either of those instances that we might get warnings to either of the benches and we didn't. So it seems like things were pretty relaxed. I don't know if the Jays just kind of gave up or everyone understood that this was kind of not serious enough to warrant a benches clearing brawl. And I don't know, like, I think I would have been kind of embarrassed as a Blue Jay fan if it did result in that because like, it's your fault. <laughs> like Jay Jackson was tipping his pitches it's not the Yankees' fault for taking advantage of that. So if the Blue Jays did clear the bases and if they intentionally hit guys, like I would be cringing a little bit, even as a Blue Jay fan. I don't think it's a good look for the team if it came to that, but thankfully it didn't. Um, there was other stuff going on. We did see the yes. Yankees talking about bad looks for teams. The Yankees, the day after, everyone and their mother is talking about them cheating. The day after, less than 24 hours later, Domingo Herman goes out and is caught for cheating. Talk about terrible looks. The Jays, John Schneider, asked the umpires to look at Domingo Herman. They find that his hand is too sticky. They find his glove is sticky. Apparently his hand was the stickiest hand that whoever the umpire was that day had ever felt, which I don't know how you're measuring that, but um, he got tossed from the game. He's got an automatic 10-game suspension for being suspended for the use of sticky stuff. Um... I don't know, just talk about bad looks. Like This is a really bad look for the Yankees the day after. Everyone thinks they're cheating. Um, they are actually cheating. So that was kind of comical. I really enjoyed it. And just it added to all the, uh, you know, the bizarre nature of the series and all the drama that we saw going on. Um, you mentioned let's talk about the actual results of this series, and we will. But before we get to that, I do want to tell everyone a little bit about Jay Birdie Baseball Co. So we've been talking about them a couple of episodes. Bryson, you've got your shirt on. It's a great quality shirt. Yes. I talked last episode this little like tag on the bottom of the shirt that I like. I looked it up. It's called a hem tag. I really it, it's like that attention to detail that uh, there we go. We got it on the screen. It's called a hem tag. It's that attention to detail that I love about Jay Birdie. Um, and this is something that goes across all their shirts and all their gear, all their sweaters, all their hoodies, and they've just released a pair of new hats in a partnership with New Era. You can check them out on their website. It's jbirdie.ca. The link is also in the show notes to this episode. But let me tell you, these hats are really, really cool. Um, they've got two. They've they've both got the Jay Birdie logo on it. Um, one of them is all black, and I'm a sucker for all black hats, as you can probably tell with the hat I'm wearing right now. This hat looks really, really good. And if you're not an all black hat type of guy, they do have a white panel blue hat in which the logo is kind of a light baby blue and I love that one as well so I highly recommend checking that out for both the shirts the sweaters the hoodies the crew necks all the stuff they have as well as the new hats with new era you can check that out jbirdie.ca the link is below this episode all right so we promised we would get to the on-field results of this series and it wasn't great for the Blue Jays as much as we talked about Aaron Judge he clobbered Blue Jays pitching in this series cheating or not pitch tipping or not. He had two hits in today's game, one home run and one very near home run. It was about an inch away from going out. It's ruled a double on the field, and then the umpires change their mind to a home run, and then they go to crew chief review, and they change their mind again called double. 
in Wednesday's game, he had one hit. In Tuesday's game, he also had a hit, which was a home run. And in Monday's game, the first game of the series, he had two home runs, as we already talked about. And for the Blue Jays, it didn't work out well. Aside from Wednesday's game, when Chris Bassett tossed a gem, and Jordan Romano came out of the bullpen in relief, and Danny Jansen walked it off. Besides that, didn't go well for the Blue Jays. Um, so, I I mean, I guess we can talk about the positive first, if you want. Um, Chris Bassett, Danny Jansen, Jordan Romano, um, all of which was done while Chris Bassett had the flu or a viral infection of some, port, some sort. I think a sinus infection it was. Um, he's been so good for the Jays. He has been, and he's pretty much joining elite company too in terms of the streak that he has with the scoreless outings. I believe it's up there with Dave Steve and now Roger Clemens. Um, for I, He's still trailing both of them. I think he needs one more start. Of course, that's asking a lot, but I'm saying if he does, you know, he's going to be even higher or surpass one of those guys, but it's just cool how he's up there with elite Blue Jays company in terms of that. So it was very obvious, though. Um, I'm sure you noticed this too when you were watching, or it just felt like whenever – like. Every time he threw the ball or whatever in between at-bats, he was bending over and he was kind of... He just looked completely out of it. And I, for me, that it didn't feel like there was some sort of injury. I like My first notion or my first reaction was it had to be something about this bug that was going around the team because, of course, uh, Kevin Kiermaier was also a latest victim to that. And just other Blue Jays throughout this the last couple of weeks have been getting it. I mean, we talked about, we've been talking about George Springer pretty much dealing with it for the last couple of weeks. Now, I think Matt Chapman was one of the first people to have it at the beginning of the year. And so many other people have had it uh, on this team throughout the, or throughout the season so far. So it got to Chris Bassett, even though what he said he was dealing with was a sinus infection. So, I don't know how connected that is to whatever the heck's going around the Blue Jays clubhouse. Maybe it is in some sort of way. But the fact, either way, the fact that he was able to go out there and go seven seven innings was even more impressive because of that. And he was not just that, is that he looked pretty sharp as well uh, doing it. Of course, there was a couple at-bats where he was battling a bit. But, I mean, when I'm saying a bit, it was it was not a lot. And, of course, it didn't impact any of his, his results anyway. So he was able to get out of stuff. He was able to strike people out as well. I mentioned it, seven strikeouts in seven innings. And uh, he, he pretty much another scoreless inning. He's creeping up on franchise, record, franchise records. And, I mean, he's been uh, lights out um, ever since or just – Again, basically going back to after that first start, so he's proven everything he can be. We've had a we had a long conversation about him the last episode as well in terms of you know if we underestimated him a little bit not or or even just acknowledging the fact that he along with Kevin Gosman are the two best starting pitches right now because of course it was another turn of the rotation through Alec Manoa throughout this series which happened on Monday uh, once again just it seems like we're watching the exact same start from him now every single time where it just. There's a lot of just him being uncomfortable and not executing and locating. So while he's still dealing um, with those struggles, he, him alongside Kevin Goslin have remained the top two Blue Jays starters in this rotation. And of course, with Chris Bassett, just the run that he's been on individually is insane. I mean, with the sinus infection going seven innings, it was definitely something that I don't know I would have expected. I mean... Right away, when you think of somebody who's sick like that, you I think anyone's really imagining 
five innings and then maybe five or six innings and pretty much call it and hand things off to the bullpen. And, if, you know, in those five innings, it could be a little bit bumpy in terms of just not having your best stuff and being in a, in a lot of battles. I mean, if you were just looking at the way he pitched in the box where you would not even wouldn't even have known he was dealing with the sinus infection. And that's really hard to do uh, if you're performing like that under the weather. So that's why that was really impressive. But it was something that was very noticeable early on. There was trips in and out of I guess the uh, the tunnel to the clubhouse and the dugout in between, and of course the trainer Jose Manastralo was all over Chris Bassett early on, so it was very noticeable and very evident that something was going on at, right at the start, and of course it didn't affect him throughout his actual performance, which was really good. I'm sure it took a lot out of him, uh, and I'm sure he felt it as well the next day, but I mean that's part of going every five days. He said it after the game. There was no thought of uh, that crossed his mind about him missing a start, and I think that also shows you know tr- truly how dialed in he is right now and how committed he is to you know getting the ball every five days and just helping this team win. And it was just – it was – it, w- it turned out to be the only series win, of course, or the only win of this series uh, for this team so far. And, I mean, as much as the offense has been struggling in all these games, Chris Bassett was able to lead the way in terms of that. And, of course, just shut out the Yankees overall. And, of course, that also came with the help of the bullpen. But it turned out to be the most important game of the series uh, for the Blue Jays because of the fact that it was the only one that they won. So there was a lot happening with Chris Bassett. But the fact that the fact is the run he's on right now is definitely insane, um, you know, I'm sure for his next start, he's going to be almost back to normal in terms of whatever sinus infection he's dealing with. I don't think we're all expecting him to go scoreless every single start going forward, but you got to appreciate what he's been doing. And again, I mentioned at Elite Company that he's pitching alongside in terms of rec- our franchise records, and you love to see it. And it's just something where we don't see a lot of uh, in terms of what we have in this rotation with people willing to go you know, deep into games like this. And of course, he has stepped up uh, in the, I guess, the the time where Alec Manoa was struggling and him and Kevin Gosner right now continue to be dominant at the top of this rotation. Yeah. I, I mean, nothing else to say. He's been absolutely dominant for the Jays. I think the real disappointment from the series pitching wise is Alec Manoa. Like, I mean, we talked about it last episode, how Chris Bassett's kind of taken his spot in the rotation as a number two guy. Maybe you could even say like the number one guy in the rotation, at least right now, like 27 consecutive scoreless innings. Unreal. For Chris Bassett, and you exclude his first start of the season. I think his ERA is at like 1.76 or something. Like getting rid of that start against St. Louis does wonders for how you look at his season. And obviously, he's been dominating so far. Um, yeah, I don't know. Manoa, four innings pitch, six hits, five earned runs, seven walks. That's a career high in walks and only three strikeouts. Um, you hoped pitching against the Yankees was the kind of bounce back he needed to return to form or at least put out a moderately good uh, effort. But I don't know. I I don't know what's working. Like, part of me is frustrated with the way the Jays, or at least the way he's dealing with this. Like, I know his persona is kind of confidence. It's kind of, you know, I made it here against all odds. I'm going to keep pitching against all odds. But at some point you do kind of have to, step back and realize, okay, it's not working. Like, i got to fix this. Yeah. And I'm sure he's doing that behind the scenes, and I'm sure the Jays are harping on him and working on a slider. We've talked about how ineffective it's been this year. But um, publicly, it's frustrating to hear him say things like, I don't have to go back to the drawing board, or I'm pitching well. They just got a few pitches. They they got to a few. It's like it's stuff like that. Like, I don't know. It kind of gets under my skin as much as – 
I'm confident that he will turn things around. I'm still confident he will turn things around. And that's something we've been saying all season. And even though at this point, right, we're nine games, nine starts into the season for Alec Manoa, I'm still confident he's going to turn it around at some point. I'm just I'm just really frustrated that he's still saying those things. Because at some point, you just got to have some humility, bow your head and say, hey, yeah, look, I've screwed up. I, I'm off to a terrible start. It's not working. I am going back to the drawing board. I am working on it because it's not working right now. And that type of humility to me is what's missing with Alec Manoa. And um, I don't know if it's really impacting his on-field performance, but certainly impacting the way I look at him. And just to give you an example of another guy, like Kevin Gosman, um, I forget what start it was. Um, it wasn't the start in Houston, but there was another start that he pitched really well, and he said he was kind of frustrated with the way he pitched. And when he does pitch poorly, he owns up to it and says, yeah, I didn't pitch well. And so that's kind of what I'm looking for with Alec Manoa right now, and I'm it, it's getting me frustrated that he isn't just saying, yeah, I got to fix things. There's only been really one time this year, and that was the start in Yankee Stadium where it actually and he looked did have, like... He, he did have the start against Kansas City, where I think it was seven shutout or seven... He Yeah, he did. It was right at the beginning, but he, I guess it was that start and then the start at Yankee Stadium where it really only looked like the Alec Manoa we knew or we've, we've been familiar with throughout the past couple of years. And I mean, other than that, it just it's weird how similar all of these starts go. Like it, it just it's the same thing. Uh, every start where he has been struggling, which has been most of his starts, where he's just throwing too many pitches. There's been we've talked about it, no location. People aren't striking out in terms of just his best stuff, which is a slider and everything like that. It's just it's for me. It's really strange how it's just it's just similar in terms of that. And then he's walking guys, and it just I don't like he he just looks out of it uh, sometimes. And of course we all I'm also on that side that he is going to figure things out. I think we're all, most of us are still on that side. It's just, for me, the only concerning part is, of course, it's almost June now where we still haven't really seen progress. And of course, if you're pitching this bad, it's also feels like this is going to be a, a process where it's going to take a couple starts before you actually truly see that he's back. So that's the other part where I, you, you know, you kind of wonder how long it's going to take, but, and then at the same time, if you want to just think worst case scenario, like I don't, I don't know what they do uh, if this continues throughout the summer. But I don't want to get to that. I don't want to be that person yet and get to that uh, because, of course, there's still lots of time before that happens. But there's just a lot of, I guess, concerns if he doesn't turn this around. Um, whatever you know, what shape is this rotation going to be in? But of course, there's time for him to turn it around and everything like that. It's just for me, it's it's just very. It's just weird how, I guess, this season has gone on for him. But, of course, like you were talking about, there's been lots of times where he is talking at the end of the game and saying this and saying that, how he feels like he's good. You know, he's been his back's been against the wall so many times. And I, I do believe that, of course, uh, throughout his career and throughout his life and everything that he's touched on like that. So the one thing is is that he's not he hasn't been afraid to say stuff uh, to the media even after a start where he just hasn't had his best stuff. But, I mean, yeah, like, it's it's – it is weird how much there is a lot of talk from that standpoint. Like a lot of people who usually struggle, you usually don't hear a lot from uh, in terms of that. You know, I know if you want to just use another example from this team, I know last year Jose Barrios spoke a little bit, but there was a lot of times where he didn't speak. And of course there was something that kind of transpired throughout the off season. It felt like it was a really quiet off season from him and everything like that. So 
that's the part where you you do wonder a little bit with Manoa in terms of that it's May 18th now and they're just it just seems to be the, the same outcome in terms of what's stopping him and what's slowing him down. Hopefully at some point before the summer this is figured out. Um and of course right now and you you know you just think about everything what things would look like if that ever does happen in terms of you got him, Kevin Gosman, and Chris Bassett, who we've been talking a lot about throughout this episode and last episode, and just how much better of a place that this team would be in. But, um, you know, it, it was also, you know, it was also the start of a very important series too. And I think there was a lot of expectations, of course, with Alec Manoa's history against the Yankees that he was, he was going to be able to put up a good start. And that just wasn't the case. So I think that was definitely the most frustrating part along with the offense. For me, it was just the performance from Alec Manoa personally of what happened on Monday night. I mean, five run runs and four innings, again, similar stuff where he's barely going or reaching the fifth inning. And of course there's lots of walks, the seven walks that you mentioned, that's insane uh, in terms of the amount of people that you're walking. So he's got a lot to figure out. He's got a lot to clean up. It's going to take a bit. Um, It's just, and of course it's not stopping him from saying anything to the media though. But of course, at some point you have to imagine that he's eventually going to see results. It's just until that point, it's been very frustrating. And of course it's also been disappointing. Yeah. I'm glad we're on the same page that we think he will bounce back, but like, I mean, we're nine starts into the season. That's practically a third of the way into the season for a starting pitcher. So, yeah, as much as we have confidence that he's going to bounce back, there is a little bit of concern about, like, you're a third of the way into the season. What's the aggregate going to look like at the end of the year? Because this is a significant chunk of the year and a significant chunk of the starts that you're going to make in a season. Um, Okay, let's get off the negative stuff. And let's talk about something positive. And we've teased this segment in a couple episodes in the past. I want to fully introduce it. I think I've come up with a good name for it. I think we're going to call it Sweet Relief. How does that sound? Are you a fan? I like it. I like it. I like it. We'll workshop it. We'll see what the fans think. Um, But as it may sound... Uh, the past few episodes, we've spotlighted Tim Meza, spotlighted Eric Swanson. A lot of times, we're very negative on the relievers because we only talk about them when they screw up. But the point of the segment, Sweet Relief, is to heap praise on one of the relievers who had a really good performance or is on a very good stretch. Um, so far, this segment's not worked out too well because we talked about Tim Meza and then he gave up a couple runs. We talked about Eric Swanson, and then in this series, he gave up a couple runs. But the guy I want to talk about, I'll have you guess. So, in Wednesday's game, the one game the Blue Jays won, who do you think had the highest win probability added out of any player on any team? And this was a reliever. I mean, yeah. On the Blue Jays. It kind of spoils it, but. (laughs) So, say that again. The highest win probability added out of any player on any team. And yes, the the point of the segment, it's a reliever on the Jays. So I think you can narrow oh, it down. Oh, Joe Romano. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Point being, <laughs> he had a phenomenal outing. Highest win yeah. probability added out of any player on any team. 0.438. That is higher than Chris Bassett, who pitched seven shutout innings. <laughs> Jordan Romano had a higher win probability added than Chris Bassett. I don't know how this is calculated. It's not a stat we use a lot. But that just goes to show how important he was in that outing. We talked about it a little bit. He's had a little bit of a shaky start to the season. He always does. But this 
outing in and of itself was absolutely phenomenal. Two innings, he comes in in the ninth in a tie game, shuts the Yankees down, comes in in the 10th with a runner on second base and shuts the Yankees down again and keeps the Blue Jays in it enough so that Danny Jansen can hit a walk-off three-run bomb, his second walk-off in the last four days at that point. Um, yeah, I mean, nothing else to say. Jordan Romano, really, really impressive performance. He hasn't always been at his best this year, but in this outing, in Wednesday's game, he was, and he deserves all the praise in the world for what he was able to do against the Yankees in the ninth and the 10th. Absolutely. It turned out to be the only series or win of the series uh, for this team, and I'm glad that the Blue Jays also sent him out for that second inning. Of mm -hmm. course, at the time, I wasn't entirely sure that it was going to be the case, but of course, he didn't throw a lot of pitches in that first inning and the ninth inning, and then it just it just made sense to send him back out there uh, in the 10th inning. I mean, his stuff was on, and usually with Jordan Romano, you get a good sense of where his stuff is only uh, I would say a couple pitches into the at bat it feels like you have an idea if he's going to if he has his stuff or if he has or if it's going to be one of those days where he's going to be struggling but of course of course like you were talking about this year so far he's kind of had some blips already early on where it's kind of been up and down a little bit but for the most part he has been solid and of course coming into what he did on Wednesday night was even more solid about that is that he was able to go out there especially in the uh, the 10th inning when the runner is on second base and you strand them from not scoring at all that's crucial and I mean if you look at the entire team's performance you know not allowing that single run to the Yankees as well was even more important on that and of course he was one of the people who was leading that I mean he as much as Chris Bassett Bassett started that whole thing. Jordan Romano was also a big reason at ending it in terms of making sure that they were at zero throughout the game and pretty much in a stretch where this offense is well hasn't been exactly hitting the greatest that also as much as a reliever probably doesn't admit it it definitely increases the pressure a little bit and the margin for error because of the fact that you have to be perfect and in this case the Jays did have to be perfect because the Yankees didn't score one run so Jordan Romano I guess contributing to that and just showing his best stuff striking out to his velo was high his stuff was good there it was good location. He only he only walked one batter, no hits, anything like that. Everything about him uh, on Wednesday night's game was pretty much on point. It was effective, and of course, uh, it was enough for the Jays to, or he was enough to contribute and get the win uh, for the Jays' walk-off win in the bottom of the tenth. And I think that was also the big part about that is that he was able to end it in terms of keeping the Yankees at zero, and it gave the Jays a good opportunity to win it finally uh, in the tenth inning. And that's exactly what happened with Danny Jansen, like you were talking about. But Jordan Romano deserves all the credit for being a major part in that win, and of course, it turns out to. To be the best game uh, for the Jays this series and I know he was unavailable today in the Thursday game if there was going to be any sort of um, I guess chance where he did come in but it, rightfully so after going two innings on Wednesday night all right a couple other things to touch on from this series um, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is out right now he had this little awkward skip step fielding a it was a bunt I think right in Tuesday's game and he's been out ever since he pinch hit in today's game and got an awesome reaction from the crowd uh, I think it's one of the cooler reactions I've ever seen at a Jays game um, just how everyone you know there was some fans who started standing up realizing seeing Santiago Espinal walk back to the dugout and then they show Vladdy on the big screen getting ready in the on-deck circle and everyone instantly just rises to their feet. And I mean, maybe that at bat could have gone better than it did. Uh, he only had a sack fly and the Blue Jays ended up, of course, not winning that game. But that was a really cool moment. Hopefully, 
the pinch hit is an indication that he's feeling a little better and will be back in the starting lineup tomorrow against the Baltimore Orioles or probably today as you're listening to this. Um, the other thing is the Jays got the flu going around or some sort of viral infection. We talked about it with uh, Chris Bassett a little bit. Um, I have a theory that this is all coming from Chris Bassett because in his last start, he mentioned that his daughter, he, he tweeted the day after that his daughter was sick and that all the praise in the world goes to his wife who let Chris sleep while uh, she tended to his daughter. And so my theory is that his daughter got him sick and by connection, the rest of the clubhouse, but who does it matter? Chris Bassett's still pitching a gem, although, you know, we'd like to have Kevin Kiermeyer and other guys who are out with the flu right now in the lineup. Um, and of course, George Springer. I mean, maybe this is all from George as well, because George has had something for a while. Who knows? Um, so that's another thing to mention. Uh, okay, we got three games against the Baltimore Orioles. Friday, we have Kikuchi versus Gibson. Saturday, we have Alec Manoa versus Rodriguez. And on Sunday, we have Kevin Gosman against his former team versus Dean Kramer. Um Bryson, oh, I promised I would go first on series predictions, didn't I? Uh, yep. Okay, I'm surprised you didn't hold me to that. Um, ah, I don't know, the pressure of going first. Um, okay, it is the Orioles. They've been really hot to start the season. Jays aren't hot right now, but they have a way of kind of flip-flopping series to series. Um, ah, geez. Putting me on the hot seat. Uh, okay, I'll go. I'll go out on a limb and say they go one of one and one and two. They lose two games. We'll see. I got to make up ground somehow to you. I'm predicting you're gonna say they take two of three, so I'm gonna go one of three. Um, I say they win. Ah, oh, jeez, now it gets tough. They win the Gosman game, and they lose Kikuchi and Manoa's start. So there you have it. The pessimist. What do you think, Bryce? Well, you know what it—it it was mentioned throughout at the beginning of the Yankee series about how it also so far against the AL East this year the Jays have struggled. I think it was four and eight. The record was prior to this series with the Yankees. Of course, that's probably or it has gotten worse since. Unfortunately, after what happened. So, for your prediction, is it's not a bad one whatsoever, just based off the results this year. The Orioles. I mean, especially coming from me personally, I mean, they haven't fallen off. They've proven so far that they're for real, and that's scary, and that's another team that the Jays are chasing in the AL East. So I don't blame you at all for what you predicted, but of course, like you were talking about, you want to make up ground. I want to separate even more, so I have to go two out of three now. I think, honestly, I do think if I was first, I probably would have done one out of three just based off of everything, but now I'm going to go two out of three. I think they win. I think they win the Friday game. And the Sunday game, they lose the start with Alec Manoa on Saturday just because of everything that's been going on until we see otherwise. Of course, you can easily make a case uh, for the Friday game as well, unfortunately. But either way, I say they win Friday, and then they win Sunday with Gosman pitching. And that is my prediction, two out of three. Okay, let's hope we get some separation. You can attest to the fact that after yes, last episode, I said, I wish I said two and two. And if I yes. had, I would have made up some ground. But unfortunately, you I did didn't. say that. Um, oh, well, rules are rules. Uh, Jacob got his series prediction in for this one as well, even though he couldn't join us for this episode. Uh, where is it? Where do you say it? Uh, lose the Manoa game. So he's also going two and Same one. Same as me. 
the exact same prediction. So he can't make up any ground on you, and you are currently leading the standings. Nothing changes. We all said the exact same thing. We all went 3-1 and one with the Jays losing Game 3. Turns out they won Game 3. That was the one game they won. So it was just opposite for all of us. Um, we're all at the same point. 24 points for Bryson, 18 points for myself, and 17 points for Jacob. We'll see how it shakes out at the end of this series. Um, okay, any last words before we wrap it up? Any... Uh, Imparting wisdom for the listeners? Other than staring in the dugouts and, of course, just 24 hours later, the Yankees with uh, Domingo Herman. <laughs> Wash your hands, dude. I mean, it was the same umpiring crew, yeah. uh, apparently from his last start, who warned him to... Is that not any indication that you might want to go down the steps and wash your hands yeah. because of what's coming, the repercussions that that come, and, of course, what we saw with the 10 games... I think that goes. I think that's just my final thoughts on that. I just I can't understand how that was not avoided. But of course, I mean, uh, credit to the umpires for cracking down on that. It was banned for a reason, and uh, unfortunately, Herman did not uh, cooperate with the rules. Cheaters are gonna cheat. What can you say? Um, <laughs> okay. Well, on that note, we'll wrap this episode up. Thank you to everyone who joined us and uh, unpacked this wild, wild series at the Rogers Center with us all. Um, look, we got a long time off before the Jays play the Yankees again. They don't play again until September. So that's going to be a fun series, and we're going to be tracking that series a bunch. But as always, you can support our podcast by going to the link below this episode. You can find our Discord. You can find our social media. You can find us our Bias a Coffee page. You can find everything below. You can also find a link to jbirdie.ca. Check out their caps. Check out their shirts as Bryson is showing off. They've got some great gear. Highly recommend. Um, Okay, three games against Baltimore. Should be a fun one over the weekend in Toronto. We will catch you next time.